Hey, what up, Long Beach? It feels so good to be back after 11 months of waiting. We've got real high school sports coverage again, and we're talking about that and much more on this episode of the only podcast that updates you on everything happening with our local schools, their sports teams, and our community at large. As always, we are the 562.org. This is our show, What Up Long Beach? I am JJ Fiddler. I'm Mike Gardabasio, and this show is brought to you as part of our partnership with the Long Beach Post. Uh, we're providing them sports and education stories each and every week along with this show. I'm Tyler Hendrickson. We will have Wilson cross-country coach CJ Brewer joining us on this episode. CJ, not just cross-country, also track and soccer coach at Wilson, and he has a lot of information to give us about navigating all those sports in the craziest year that we've ever covered. But we're sports writers again. How can we not be excited about that? Wednesday, we were at Millican High School where they created a three-mile track on campus for the Rams and visiting Wilson Bruins to run around varsity sports back in Long Beach. It was awesome to be out there. Like Tyler said, we're going to talk to Coach Brewer about all of that and stuff. But just, just from our point of view, just to pull the curtain back a little bit like we like to do on this show sometimes, uh, it felt weird to be out there at first. You know, you see all those people in the same location. It just kind of feels weird. It's been almost a year. But then like three minutes after talking to athletic directors, Lorraine Morgan, Jeff Evans, Kevin Marshall, everything kind of felt normal very quickly. And I was pleased at that. I thought after a while it was going to be like, ooh, biting my nails a little bit. But it, it, it felt normal faster than I thought it would. And I think that's a good thing, not only for us, but for the people participating, because that's why we're trying to get things back to quote unquote normal, right? Is to feel like we don't have to be worrying about everything all the time. So make sure you check out that coverage. Ty, did you feel the same way when we were out there? Yeah, I mean, there were there were definitely some things where it, it reminds you like, oh, wait, this isn't <laughs> this isn't how you would normally do things and adjustments have to be made. You know, right when you get there, you, you do the temperature check and, and the screening and get a wristband and all that. And obviously everybody's got their masks on. But yeah, once the once the the competition starts, just like being at a basketball game at the pyramid, even without the fans, you're still focusing on the action, you know, whether that was a good call or not. So you do get lost in the in the event. But then there were moments where I kind of caught myself of, you know, after a race, you know, you want to go interview the winner. Normally I would just walk up and say like, Hey, I'm, I'm tired. Hey, what's up? Great job. Clap yeah, hug. Yeah. Now I'm like wanting to be like, well, I don't know. I should kind of yell from a distance, like, hey, excuse me. Hey, over here. So, uh, you know, you just have that little bit of trepidation and I think we're all going to have to work through that societally, um, just with distance and <laughs> talking to people. But, you know, we, we got through it. Generally speaking, it was it was terrific, uh, really well run and organized event. So props to Milliken for that, um, for putting that on on kind of short notice. And, and uh, CJ will talk a little bit more about that later, the short notice and trying to scramble to put things together. But props to everyone involved, administrators, coaches, um, the spectators, you know, everyone was, you know, following the rules and really just happy to be there. And it's there's not been a lot of situations over the last 11 months where I've been at a place where everyone was happy to be there and, and feeling good. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I have to say, I really enjoyed, uh, I was covering the school board meeting last night, so didn't get to go to the meet you guys were at, um, but really enjoyed seeing your guys' coverage because of exactly what you just said. It was like, oh, here's something that's just good. That, <laughs> and in a more or less uncomplicated way, it's just good. The people there are happy. Um, I think we also need to tell everyone, as CJ is going to point out in the interview, you know, everyone needs to be patient. I mean, this is going to be a process. These meets were put together very quickly um, as evidence of how big the disparity in preparedness is. Um, you know, Milliken and Wilson pulled their meet off 
Uh, Polly was going to be hosting Cabrillo. Um, Cabrillo ended up, you know, struggling to get the uh, uh, enough runners together to compete in that. So Polly had basically a time trial, um, you know, with a full course and uniforms and times and all that stuff, um, which we'll have coverage up uh, of today as well. But you just see that it's like you've got that Milliken Wilson Polly, they're there, and I think we'll probably see this in some other sports where. Um, one or two or three or even four, like in cross country, the other schools are kind of, um, you know, doing whatever they can. And I just want to preach what we've been preaching this whole time, which is number one, be patient. And number two, um, let's worry about the rules a little bit less. You know, if a team can only get four runners together for a cross country race, let them race. You know, I mean, let's give the people who can partake in this normalcy, as Tyler said, um, give them every opportunity that we can as a city to, uh, to take place in it. Cause I know for you guys and where I was earlier in the day, everyone was so happy to be out there that I just, all I could think about was I wish we could give this feeling to more people. Full report, including video highlights and photos available right now at the 562.org. Before we get to the interview, Mike, you just mentioned it. You were doing the school board meeting. Do you have any news to report for the community at large? Yeah. School dates have been pushed back. Um, I think I've, come on here and given that report four or five times at this point. Um, schools were closed in the LBUSD and across most of California on March 13th, 2020. It now looks like March 29th will be the dates that elementary schools return. Um, they feel pretty good about that March 29th date, given that at that point, per the mayor's announcement today at his press conference, all elementary school staff, teachers, custodians, principals, counselors, cafeteria workers, everyone will have been fully vaccinated with two weeks on the back end of the vaccination. Um, so they, that will be the first set of elementary schools in California and one of the first anywhere in the country to reopen with full vaccination. So that is a huge, huge deal um, that our city has prioritized that. I'm very happy that that's the case. Um, obviously more of our, uh, listenership, our high school people, um, the high schools and middle schools are a little bit later. We're looking at April 20th, uh, for the middle schools and then April 19th for high school seniors and April 26th for grades nine through 11. What I want to point out about that though, is the middle schools and high schools are not allowed to reopen right now. And they need under the current California department of public health guidelines, they need LA County to reach the red tier. Um, which case rates have been falling. That's why elementary schools are allowed to reopen. We're still a ways away from the red tier. Um, I believe the red tier, you have to get under seven uh, cases per 100,000. We've fallen from 100 about a month ago to just under 20. Um, but at no point have we been in the red tier since the pandemic began. So if that tier system remains in place, um, it could be difficult to get, uh, to, to get high schools and middle schools reopened for in-person instruction. I do want to note that's not going to have an impact on sports. Um, the LBUSD has been very vocal and out there that, hey, we're just doing what the state says is allowed. They say we're not allowed to go back for in-person instruction. We are allowed to go back for cross country. So we've had some people on our social media going, why are these kids allowed to run if my kid's not allowed to go in class? The answer is um, call the California Department of Public Health. I don't necessarily disagree with you, um, but that's what the guidelines allow. That's what the public health guidelines uh, state. As uh, you'll hear CJ mention, literally the day after it was allowed for sports to resume, the WSD was planning on how they were going to get sports back. So they're doing everything they can in terms of what's sort of maximally allowed. Um, 
but I don't know, man, keep calling the governor or whatever, you know, if you, <laughs> if you disagree, like I said, we've got kids at home in my house. Uh, I feel a lot of people's frustration. We've also got a teacher in my house. So I feel a lot of teachers wanting to make sure that they're vaccinated and, uh, and safe before they go back. But um, the answer to the question on how does this make sense is we're not saying it makes sense. We're just saying that's what the rules are. So. <laughs> and Mike, I had one quick follow-up for you just to kind of help clarify things for people. So, I mean, people should be watching the the case rate per hundred thousand as well as the positivity rate. I believe the positivity rate is already into yes. the red here below that 7% or 8% threshold, but we are waiting on that case rate to come down and correct me if I'm wrong, but we would have to be in the red tier criteria for three weeks before we can move down. Is that accurate? Um, for the reopening of schools, the criteria needs to just be in the red tier for five days. Um, so to change tiers as a county, which affects businesses and some other things, um, California, unfortunately, was one of the states that was first, schools are the first to close and the last to reopen. Um, I think we've seen scientifically from a variety of kinds of data that schools being the last to close and first to reopen is a better way to structure your society with all due uh, respect to sports bars. Um, so it just needs to be in the red tier for five days. You're correct about the positivity rate. We're already in the red tier. And we actually had reached down into the orange tier in the fall on the positivity rate. So it will absolutely be um, the case rate that's the number to watch, which, as I pointed out, we, ha we haven't been in the red tier. So that will be new territory for us. At this point, unfortunately, um, you know, Long Beach is a city of a half a million. Over 50,000 people have been infected with the coronavirus. And that's just of what they have gotten a positive test for and tracked. Um, there's other people like myself who've been told by medical professionals to operate as though I'm a presumptive positive that I had it, um, before the testing regime had been put in place. Um, but at least 50,000 people have had it. And, you know, unfortunately some people have died. And then on the positive side, you know, 50,000 people have received a first dose. So every day that those vaccines continue to roll out, the pool of people who could be positive gets smaller. If we've got 50,000 people with some kind of immunity from having had it, 50,000 people with some kind of immunity from having gotten the first vaccine. Um, that's sort of the question mark on how quickly that case rate can go down that we could potentially see it get into the red tier or the orange tier. When we say at the top of this show that it's about the schools, their sports teams in our community at large, we are not blowing smoke. We cover everything happening with the school district and everything happening with the community. And you can ask a question just like Tyler just did. Hit us up on social media, via email. we got the easiest email addresses of all time. It's just our first names at the562.org. Join the conversation that involves this Long Beach community. If you're looking for an idea this weekend to make your life a little bit better, might I recommend a trip down to Naples Island to check out Naples Rib Co. Naples Rib Company, the best place to get barbecue in Long Beach, longtime supporters of the 562 and really everything Long Beach sports. They are currently open for outdoor dining. Of course, you can still get takeout orders in. Visit ribcompany.com or give them a call. There's ads all over our website and on every video that we do. Be sure to support Naples Rib Company and give back to the companies that support Long Beach sports coverage. And you'll be happy you did. You're going to get some good barbecue out of the deal. We now bring on our special guest for the week. He's a Wilson alum who's been giving back so much to his school as the boys soccer, track, and cross-country coach. It's our guy with the results, CJ Brewer. CJ, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. Uh, 
the results meaning I sent you the results from the last meet, not the results as in that we won the last meet. Um, we Milliken kicked our butt in a number of the races, and, and they're looking really good. But um, I'm excited to be here talking to you guys about all the things that we've been working on at Wilson throughout the last year of craziness. At, at this point, we're pushing on 11 plus months. Um, and, you know, JJ just said it, you know, you coach three sports. I think we're always impressed with some of coaches too, but you coach three sports that are, it's kind of a unique mix too in, in uh, cross country and soccer and track. So you've got, in my opinion, probably a little bit better idea of what all the different kinds of kids in Long Beach have been going through. So let's just start there. I mean, what did that mean to you and to those kids to get to see an event where it's not a workout, it's not a club event, you're wearing Wilson on a jersey. What did that mean to the kids and, and to you guys as coaches? Well, first, before I answer your question, I want to give a shout out to all my assistant coaches. So you said I coach three sports. It's not me doing that um, without all of them taking over when I you know, am in cross-country mode or I'm in soccer mode or I'm in track mode. And we have a lot of assistant coaches so the kids get all the attention that they deserve. But I uh, coach cross country um, with Coach Hauk. Um, the two of us tag team between the boys and the girls. Coach Hauk was my coach here at Wilson. Um, so that's really cool for me um, to coach alongside him. I think he might be the longest coaching coach in all sports currently um, as far as head coaches go. But uh, I'll let you guys do the math on that. Um, but together we've seen waves of kids from – 2000 um, all the way till now and this has been the most unique crazy year out there um, you, your question was what were what did they feel like and they were excited um, they were happy to get some sense of normal to come back um, however there's two coaches that um, coach CJ is you know kind of battling between. There's the competitive coach CJ, and then there's the compassionate uncle CJ. <laughs> this this time has been um, kind of more of the compassionate uncle CJ than than coach CJ, and then now we're thrown into a meet. Um, they gave us you know kind of two weeks notice, and now we're racing again. And our sport is a sport you got to train in for months to be prepared. And so some of the kids were, were just getting out there to represent their team, knowing that, you know, what, I'm going to be slow. <laughs> um, I have not been consistent with my training because of COVID, um, because of what my family has been going through and all the different hurdles with that. Um, but I'm going to get out here because I know that we need numbers and, you know, I, I want to help um, our team with the results. And then other kids have been more consistent with their training and they were excited to get out there because they've got goals that they want to hit and they've been navigating this, you know, really well. And um, they were excited to compete. I've kind of changed my approach to how I'm coaching this year um, because this year is different and um, we're not out there demanding results from kids or getting in their face saying what the heck happened today. Um, we're celebrating the fact that they're out there. We're celebrating the fact that they're healthy, um, that they got good grades, um, and that you know everything in their life is is positive. And when it isn't, then Uncle CJ comes out, and we're you know helping them. I mean, we're 
given them gift cards um, with some of our organizations that help us on campus with kids that need food and, you know, a gift card for, a, you know, Ralph's so you can go get a dinner at Thanksgiving and, and working with the kids saying, what do you need? And um, I feel like I've been more of a weird uncle CJ um, than coach um, throughout all this. But then boom, you know, it's race day and you're back screaming at the kids, encourage them to go and <laughs> talking to the kids about, the, you know, you won or you lost or you set a personal record or you didn't. And it, it's a weird balance. It's a weird balance and it's a weird vibe. Um, everyone is very excited for sports to return. Um, being that our sport's the first to come back, it was exciting, but it's not the same still. It's not normal. Um, typically we have, you know, 50 girls, 60 boys. Um, we have those, you know, on our rosters, but we don't have those numbers out at our practices um, and at our meets um, because parents still aren't comfortable with having their kids come out. Um, we've got all the excuses up the book and we take those excuses and we say, okay, we totally understand. There's no pressure to come out here. If you want to come out and compete, we're here. If you want to do stuff on your own, we understand. And, you know, in, in a normal circumstance, we're a little more pressuring um, now in this circumstance that we're in. We take the kids we get, we focus on them, and we reach out to the ones that aren't here to make sure that, um, you know, if they need any help from us. So, well, and yeah, I mean, JJ and I were out there with you at the meet and, you know, I mean, we were, we were talking after just how cool it was to, to be back and, and see high school kids competing again. And there were, I would say I'd never seen so many smiles, but with all the masks, it was more the smiling eyes that you have to read uh, from people. Um, but what, you know, what were your, what were your thoughts on the meet generally, just as a coach? I mean, obviously we're not used to having it run on campus. The dual meet format is different with, you know, the safety protocols and everything, you know, how did you feel that everything ran and um, you know, what was just kind of your general impression on the, the way the meet was, was hosted and organized given all the parameters that have to go around it. Um, lots of, uh, lots of red tape that we had to get through to get to that point. Um, the district, um, the administrators, um, the athletic directors and the coaches all had to agree on something. And that's a lot of people um, when normally it's just the coaches running the show. Um, we throw our meets and now we've got, you know, rules on this rules on that battling with trying to get permits um, at El Dorado Park um, through the city of Long Beach. They have allowed us um, certain things, but um, actually getting the permit is still something that uh, they're holding off on. Um, so we are forced to run on our campuses. And the hard part from a cross-country runner standpoint is, you know, I don't know where to go. Um, never been on Milliken's campus. I haven't ran this work. I'm looking at the map. Do I turn here? Do I turn there? Um, and then also we counted like over like 40 turns that the kids have to make. Um, but in a regular meet, you know, you might have, you know, six. Um, if you're at El Dorado, it's like the thing is a giant circle. So you don't really have to make any jagged turns. Um, Milliken did a great job, though, at, at, at doing the best they could. And their coaches work really hard and flagging everything off. Kids didn't get lost. Um, so that was all great. Um, the beautiful track that they have, it was, you know, it was nice to be out there for the first time 
Um, you would think that, you know, football would be the, the inaugural event, um, but, and not cross country. Um, but, you know, it was nice that the kids could go out there and run on their brand new stadium. And I know their kids enjoyed that. Um, for us, you know, competitive CJ comes out and goes, man, I wish I could get a chance to run at El Dorado. We have some top 10 lists for our school that the kids want to chase a record. Um, and they want to get that last chance to do it. But um, I'd rather them be able to compete than have to worry about you know, any of that stuff that doesn't matter. The same thing goes for like spectators. The parents um, initially were saying no parents could have come. And then they said, okay, parents can go in the stands and we're limited to two per athlete. And typical cross-country meet, you know, parents are running around um, trying to catch viewpoints at different spots. Um, now they're, you know, they're kind of in the same spot and the kids are going to pass by them a number of times, which is different. But the parents said the same thing to us. If we can't come, we don't care. As long as my kid gets a chance to compete, if we can come, we'll do everything you tell us to do. And, and they did a great job of being distant and wearing masks and getting temperature checked when they walk through, no complaints. And um, everyone from the district to our parents um, just wanted this to happen. And they, they jumped all the, through the, all the hoops that you got thrown at us and, uh, and it happened. So just kind of opened the door for everyone else. Um, and it went very smooth and, and that's what we were looking for. Um, because if, if we were messy, I think it might be uh, not looking good for other sports, but we came out, it was smooth event. Um, everything went good. Um, and, and all our kids are healthy still. So um, you keep our fingers crossed that that continues and, we're excited for um, the next meet and the season to continue. And then as soon as it ends, track season starts. And um, we're excited about that too. It's, it's going to be a very compact schedule for sure. Um, you mentioned it. I mean, you guys as the cross country coaches, which is at least, you know, it's a, it's a pretty organized and um, cooperative group of coaches. If you look at some of the other sports in the league. So that's helpful. Um, but there's a lot of pressure to like, hey, you guys are going to bring back sports <laughs> after 11 months. Um, how did what was the process like of getting you, you mentioned it? The state had to agree. The county had to agree. The CIF had to agree. The school district and the city health department had to agree. And then Lisa Omer and then all the coaches and all the athletic directors had to agree. How do you get everyone onto the same page? And then just as a cross country, uh, someone who enjoys cross country, I'm curious about the courses on the campuses, because I saw some of the Orange County schools just did go run 20 laps around the oval or whatever, which sounds like hell to me. Um, but what, what went into that thought process for you guys of, no, 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 we want to create some kind of a course around the campus as opposed to just counting, you know, rings around the, <laughs> around the track. Um, so January 25th, um, stay at home orders were lifted. And I think the very next day, we were in a meeting with all the athletic directors and Morley coaches, Lisa Ulmer, um, Jay Camarillo. Um, everyone's in that meeting talking about how do we do this? And, you know, they had just been lifted and, you know, they're giving guidelines out on like Twitter is where we're getting information. <laughs> and we still don't have like the new health code in writing. So the next step is we have to go get a permit, but the city of Long Beach is saying, hey, we don't have the, the in writing new health order yet. We can't do anything for you. And then LBUSD 
is reaching out to Long Beach Public Health and they're saying, wait a minute, you can't have a gathering like that that large. And we're saying, what, you said that we can do this. Those rules apply to concerts and other type of events. It's, it was just a waiting for things to actually get formalized while trying to go, knowing that we had to get done by March 27th because we had to stand a, dead, a deadline where we can't compete after a certain time. So we got to get a certain number of meets in, everything had to get organized. And it came down to, we were less than a week away from the meet that we had yesterday. And we still hadn't been gotten everything approved and finalized and didn't know where we were going to race. We didn't know what time things were going to happen, if spectators could be there. I mean, we threw it together as fast as we could, given all the different logistical issues that we ran across um, in a short period of time. So are you guys planning on continuing to run on the campuses? You're just going to deal with that plan and move forward. Like next week, are you guys going to run at Wilson against Polly? Yeah. So uh, in the middle of our meet yesterday, um, our athletic director, Jeff Evans, came up to me and said, it's been confirmed. We are not racing in El Dorado next week. We will be against Polly at Wilson. Um, and that's can we have a plan for if we get El Dorado and we have a plan for if we don't. And so we have kind of two schedules or two ideas of how the season's going to go. And I go up to my assistant coach, uh, his name's Bruce Parrott. And I go, Bruce, like, I just got told that we're going to be at Wilson next week. And Bruce's first initial gut reaction was good. I said, Bruce, what do you mean good? We want to run at El Dorado. He goes, good. They freaking made up their mind. Right. (laughs) We have an answer on like where we're going to be so we can like plan it. And we know a week in advance what's going to happen. And that's, that's kind of new here. So at least we can start planning things, knowing what's going to happen. And we'd rather that than the, you know, the day before finding out new things. Um, And that's kind of what, kind of what happened the first week, but uh, things are smoothing out and we're kind of seeing the lay of the land and, and making moves so we can, at least notify our parents what's happening a week in advance. So you just mentioned it. Why would you rather run at El Dorado than on the campus? We were talking to the coaches after the meet yesterday and they were saying, you know, it's so much flatter, but the wind was uh, more of a factor today. So there were certain things that looked different. Like the first mile time was a little bit different than the second mile time, as opposed to running at El Dorado where you're up and down moving around that park. Why would you guys rather run at the park than on campus? Um, Tradition number one, we have, top 10 list that um, records the kids are chasing. They can compare themselves um, on one course to themselves on that same course, but you can't compare yourself on uh, one course versus another. I mean, yeah, flat course versus a flat course. That's one thing. And you're trying to chase an overall personal record for your lifetime, but then you have your own little course records that you're chasing too. El Dorado is one of the fastest courses around. Um, it's, you know, all pavement not a lot of turns and what we want is the kids to leave with a lifetime personal best and it's hard to do on some courses where you're turning around a lot it's also hard to do on a course that you're unfamiliar with um so the tradition chasing um you know we have their El Dorado time since they were freshmen and you know last time running on that course i mean uh the courses that we've run on we've been doing for now 20 years 
um, with our cluster meet schedule. We used to do dual meets um, in 2001 and before that, and they had their little traditions there. Um, but for the past 20 years, we've been doing uh, these cluster meets at El Dorado Park, and these kids have, you know, traditions, and they want to, you know, maybe beat their brother's time that ran for us before, or um, their friend's time that run, ran there before, and they, they're, they've get all these different cookies that they're trying to, to, to use as inspiration to run faster, and to run at El Dorado, it has a, a lot of advantages, and it's definitely where everyone wants to be, um, but if we can't have it, we just want to run, like, don't care where you run. There was a team um, on the East Coast that was running uh, in the parking structure at a mall, um, and they had a 300-meter loop, pretty much like a track, and they would just go round and round and round. Um, so, you know, people are doing what they can, um, but running around the track the entire time is like the last option that yeah. anyone wants. So there probably isn't anyone in our league that wants that. It, it's too much of a track vibe. Um, kids fall asleep through it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the feeling of accomplishment on a course, um, it just feels like, you know, I ran a long distance and I, I can focus on um, that, you know, tree. And when I get to that tree, I'll focus on that next thing. But when you're on the track, it, you can't really do that as, as much. So it, it doesn't make for a good video to run a three-mile course on a track either. So we really we appreciate you guys using the course approach. Well, and 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 with cross country coming back and kind of you know breaking the seal, so to speak, and being that that first sport, you know, we've gotten a lot of questions about okay, what does this mean for other sports or why, you know, why cross country and not other things? But you know, we're obviously anticipating that the spring will, will bring back some more sports track included golf, tennis. Um, but there are a lot of questions for other sports that aren't in, in the purple tier and, and you coach, uh, you know, a, a soccer as well. So, you know, what's, what's kind of your communication like, if at all with, with your athletes that are maybe saying, okay, they see that there's possibility for their sport to come back because it has now happened. It, it, what is that co communication like to keep them optimistic and keeping them informed about what, what their, their prospects look like? Cause none of us really know how things are going to play out. So how are you communicating specifically with your, with your soccer players or, or your track athletes that are saying, okay, when's it going to be our turn? Yeah. So the reason that we were first is because we're low contact. Um, we, are able to socially distance um, just like all the other sports that are in that purple tier and are allowed to happen in the purple tier. Um, I think the, the frustrating part for cross country was we've been in the purple tier this entire time. We could have done this in September, um, but there has been a lot that has happened politically. There's been a lot that's happened when, uh, when it comes to societies you know, viewpoints on the virus. I mean, we you kind of a roller coaster of we're scared of it. We want normal back. Wait, we're scared of it again. Um, but what you have to do is you kind of have to respect the virus. Um, you know, it's there um, while living your life. Now with the soccer players, um, my message to them is stay ready. Um, what I don't want to happen is the season to start. And I've got a team full of soccer players that can't kick the ball. And that is, you know, puking out of the fact that they're out of shape after 10 minutes of the game. And so we really focus on making sure their conditioning's there and that they can, you know, stay in shape. And, you know, I had one goalkeeper that lost 100 pounds over the, over the pandemic. 
and he really focused on it and he's a different person. And I feel like um, sports, that fact that, you know, it might happen is really keeping the kids mental stability. Um, they've got something to work towards. And so when you take that away, now their cookie's gone. They, they have no reason to keep their grades up. Um, they have no reason to keep their um, physical fitness going. And then, you know, it's a slippery slope in all areas of their life. And that's when kids are really going to struggle. So we've been keeping them, you know, in tune with what's going on, uh, making sure that they stay healthy when they're with us and, you know, making sure that they, you know, just stay ready for the moment because when it, and we've been telling the, you know, cross country, soccer, track, all of them, when it does open, it's going to be like, hurry up, let's go. I mean, cross country got two weeks from the day that they said, all right, the season's going to happen till that first meet that we had. We had to get uniforms. Uh, we had to get athletic clearances going. We had to get a lot of things on our end um, to get prepared for that, in addition to being in shape to run the race. And so for our soccer players, it's like, you know, we're, we never really stopped with our training unless we were told we had to stop. But when we were allowed to do things, we did exactly what we were allowed to do. Um, and we want them to stay ready. There were moments where we couldn't meet and we were doing everything virtual. Um, they were, you know, sending in videos of them juggling the ball, doing drills that we wanted them to do, you know, getting their fitness in. And there has not been a point since March 13th that I haven't had weekly communication with all of the teams. Um, we battled through lockdowns. We battled through uh, air quality where you can't go outside um, throughout the, the, the fires. Um, and then, you know, spikes in December with all the virus and the, and the stay-at-home orders. And um, we as coaches are the people along with their teachers and the other people in their life that hold them accountable, but also keep them stable when it comes to their, you know, everything, their mental health, their physical well-being, and, you know, keep making sure that they're on the right path. Um, the challenging part for me, um, you know, I mean, that, that kind of answers your question, but I'm going to keep going. The challenging part for me is that I've failed some kids. And there have been kids that have kind of struggled through all of this and they've gotten bad grades. Um, they've gotten involved in some bad things. Um, and the hard part for me as a coach is it's really hard for me to make an impact on your life if I can't see you. And if you don't show up to my training sessions, those are the ones I'm most worried about. You know, I'm still trying to make an impact on those kids' lives, but um, you know, it's hard when you see your kids struggling because I'm coach CJ, but I said before, I'm uncle CJ too. Huh? They're members of my family. I'd take a bullet for them. They would do the same for me. And there's been a lot of issues that our city has gone through and the kids are going through that. There's been a lot of issues that our kids are going through and I'm trying to navigate them through that. But I mean, you know, I'm going to be real with you guys. I mean, I'm a Long Beach Unified employee, so I can't go too far with what I'm telling you, but I'm going to be real. Like our kids are struggling and the solution of go back to school right now is something that people are fighting for. And I don't, I agree with it, but I don't. 
the solution uh, of, uh, you know, staying where we're at right now until things are safe. I, I agree with it, but I don't. I mean, there, there aren't really any solutions here. And Mike's article that he wrote a couple months ago, I think, about, you know, all the different, we got our problems with COVID, but then we got the problems because of COVID. Um, and, you know, I'm at the front lines with all the other coaches in the league at trying to keep at least our athletes safe through all this. I mean, for our girls yesterday, um, Milliken kicked our butt. I mean, but I'm running freshmen in the race. I mean, I've got, you know, one of our girls, she got a job because she's got to help her family because times are tough right now. Uh, I got to babysit my brothers and sisters because they're not in school, can't come to practice. Um, you know, I'm going through some depression coach and um, this isn't healthy for me and I, I need to look up for help. I can't come to practice. Um, you know, my parents say I can't come. And, you know, that's, that's five of our returning varsity girls that aren't there. And we're reaching out to all five of them, making sure that they're okay. And, you know, it's kind of next man up. So imagine yourself being the varsity basketball coach and you got, you know, four or five players from varsity can't come for those reasons. And you got to put freshmen on the court. I mean, yes, we all want sports to come back, but when it does, what does it actually look like? Um, and to play varsity games with, with freshmen on the court for basketball is not fun. Cross country, we were able to do it because the girls are not only racing against the other team, but they're racing against the clock and themselves. And, um, you know, it's okay. Um, wherever they're at, as long as they're all working to try to improve um, week to week. And so it worked out for us. But soccer, if I were to, you know, have all these same issues we're having with Frost, um, it, it's not going to be fun. Right. It's not going to be fun. If, if you look at cross country, you've got um, Milliken, Wilson, and Polly have full JV Frost off varsity levels, boys and girls. Everyone else is struggling to put together full teams. And so, I mean, we have some schools, you might have five runners and that makes up their whole cross-country team. I mean, if soccer were to start now, would my freshman team be able to have a full season or would they only get two or three games in because there aren't enough people to play against? And you got to compare the numbers to like, all right, how many parents decided they wanted to be in person for school versus they didn't? that same idea is applied to sports. How right. many of your parents decided I want to come to practice versus I'm going to train at my home because I'm not comfortable coming yet. It's very similar the numbers. Um, we, I mean, we don't have a full team like we normally do. And then we go out against a team that did a very good job at retaining their varsity runners. And, you know, I was probably going to win because of that, but that's kind of the nature of where we're at. You look at Alabama football, those guys navigated this virus situation well. They didn't lose any players because of the virus, and they won a national championship. That's competitive CJ coming out again. But we're, <laughs> we're not pressuring our kids to come out. Um, we're focusing on the ones that are out, and we're trying to, to make sure that they have their best season ever. And well, I, I just wanted to jump in, CJ, and, and sort of thank you from the three of us. I mean, I – you know, we love covering sports. We love the competitive side of it and, and getting to 
write about close finishes and stuff like that. But um, you mentioned the article that I wrote, all three of us for sure have that same sense that you do that. It's like, this is really this last 11 months really shows you how important sports are, but in different ways than maybe the four of us appreciate it normally. Right. It's like, it's just so meaningful for those kids to have a coach who's checking up on them, even if they can't compete on varsity, because, you know, you're a math teacher, you have 180 kids, you don't necessarily have that same interaction that a coach does or whatever. For, for me personally, and as you mentioned, you're an OBUSD employee, I won't ask you to comment on it, but this is the frustration of the case rate currently is, is three or four times what it was in the fall during the regular cross country season. Right. And, you know, this is my frustration, as you said, and I think you put it very eloquently, there's a scientific considerations here, but there's also enormous political and um, public viewpoint considerations as well. And I just kind of feel like these kids are being whiplashed back and forth between those changes, as opposed to having said in September, okay, the case rates are at eight or nine per 100,000. This is a low, I mean, nothing changed about cross country from September to now. It's been, <laughs> as far as being low contact and all those other things. So that's been my frustration. Um, but it's so, I, I sleep easier knowing that there's coaches like you and the other people we've had on this show basically said the same thing you have about my priorities have changed. I'm emphasizing different things. I'm worried about the kids in a different way than I was when it was just about, um, you know, how they were competing in times and stuff. So uh, I'm glad you're out there. I'm glad that the kids were able to get out there and have a competition. And it was definitely nice in the middle of talking about all the hard things the kids are going through to be able to talk about a, a sports a little bit <laughs> today because we've been missing that for sure. Yeah, I mean, we had uh, kids that set lifetime best and, and, and improved by over two minutes. And, you know, even if we didn't win the race yesterday, um, we had a, a number of those and you celebrate that because you're also racing against the clock. And then you also celebrate Milliken, who's got some great runners that are doing great things. And they're looking to make a title run for the first time since the 90s. And that's something that you're rooting for them to do as well. But uh, then in the back of your head, you're thinking about all the kids that aren't there and what they're struggling with. Um, what we've noticed in, in talking with the other coaches in, in the league is that there's you know certain groups that are struggling more than others. Um, and there was an article I read about the NCAA, you know, pulled um, all the Division One through Division Three athletes, um, and to see who was affected most. And it's the same for them too. Um, our girls' sports, um, for some reason, are more affected than boys. Um, I don't know if it's the bonding that they um, need, and they they do it for each other a little bit more than the boys are more kind of competitive doing it for themselves. And that sense of team that when you have to divide them and, and separate and distance and, you know, all those bonding uh, parties that you normally would have are gone, um, their mental health changes, their buy-in to your team changes. And so that's why our, all of our numbers are down for, for girls in cross country. And I would be interested to see how that is compared to other sports. And then our low-income kids. Um, are struggling and that's more of the academic um, stuff they're struggling but also you know I'm picking up a job I'm babysitting my brothers and sisters because both my parents are working Um, they've got just a different set of hurdles that they're going through and that's what the NCAA said that they're dealing with that's what we're dealing with that's what every other coach I'm seeing is dealing with but more like the nitty-gritty stuff that we are focused on is 
making sure the kids get good grades. Um, we have always prided ourselves that we, you know, are like our, the academic champion of our, our league. So they, they, you know, give out the GPA every year of all the teams and we try to get the highest and that's our goal. We're competitive in running and the numbers and that we're also competitive, you know, in the classroom. And wow. I mean, our, academic champion team that has always been the smartest cross country team um, since I've been around um, really struggled this year. I mean, we were, we were averaging 27 missing assignments per person. And typically you average five. And um, then, you know, we're not able to check their grades until, you know, a couple months in, I, I go, Hey, I want to check my kids grades, but we switched to this canvas system and now I'm not able to see anything. And then they go, we can't see anything either. Let's look into it. They finally gave us a way to, to check. And that's how we found out, wait, we've got a problem here. And then we asked, well, you know, do your parents know your grades? No, they didn't sign up to view my canvas. And so, right. you know, we probably had a third of the parents signing up to view their kids' grades on canvas because they used to be able to do it with school loop, but you know, navigating new technology and passwords and clicking here, or where do I go, is, is a lot when you're also having to navigate, I got to feed my family and uh, make sure that no one gets sick from COVID. So people are starting to figure it out. Things are getting better. Um, but those were some of the things that we noticed. And I think really this, the root of all of it that we've been struggling as, as coaches was when we went, you know, in that spring and March, when they went to credit, no credit, it kind of taught the kids, you can get away with doing the minimum amount of work and still it will be the same thing as getting an A. And the, a lot of the kids lost their hard work kind of attitude. And then that bled over to athletics. Well, I don't have to work hard academics. Now I'm kind of lazy athletically and they established a lot of bad habits. And so this semester, our teachers, our coaches, we're all trying to get the kids back into good habits and to shake all that off because everyone kind of fell in a hole. And if you look at the numbers LBUSD has put out about the numbers of Ds and Fs and kids that were in class and not, I mean, it, it wasn't good, but we're trying to make it better and we're doing a pretty good job. Um, eventually the semester hit and you know, I had the usual number of kids that were academically ineligible when I was almost going to have like double digits and that was scary. Um, so as coaches, we we're trying to bring it back. Um, but, you know, soccer is the same thing. Why get, a good, why get a good grade when we might not have a season? The only reason I do get good grades is so I can play. And now you're telling me that we might not. And so just encouraging them that there is a chance that we will play eventually and uh, giving them hope is trying to help get them on the right track. Thank you so much, CJ. Thank you for your candor, for your help yesterday, for all your hard work over there at Wilson and, uh, and keeping an eye out for these kids. Um, that, that's the most important thing, and we really felt it yesterday. You're absolutely right. It was definitely Uncle JJ and Uncle Tyler, not competitive JJ and competitive Tyler out there covering that event. So thank you again. Take care. And I guess we get to say this now. We'll see you soon. Yes, we'll see you soon. And congrats on the three-year mark for you guys in the 562. That's awesome. Thank Thanks, you, brother. Man. Thank you. We appreciate it, CJ.
We also want to thank our sponsors at the Ocean Law Center, helping injured people and their families. Visit OceanLawCenter.com for more information on the services they provide. Thank you so much to Ocean Law Center for their recent but continued support of Long Beach sports coverage at the 562. Before we get out of here, we wanted to talk a little bit about that crazy deal that Tatis signed with the San Diego Padres. I mean, his grandchildren's grandchildren are going to be cashing those checks if he actually does get paid the whole thing. And it got us thinking, if you were a 14-year-old multi-sport athlete right now, or let's say you have a 14-year-old multi-sport athlete in your family, which sport are you choosing? Because obviously money, it talks. We all know that. But also there's kind of a lifestyle choice when it comes to the separation between baseball and basketball and football and soccer and hockey. They are all so different, both from the pay structure and just how you live. You know, obviously we're going to start with baseball because of what Tatis did. Yeah, that's a great contract. But like the vast majority, like 98% of Major League Baseball players don't get a sniff of a contract like that. And most of them have to do like five plus years in minor league baseball which is basically the Washington Generals tour of all of the cities in America nobody else actually wants to go to. So baseball looks good on paper, but gosh, you really got to put your time in to get that payday. Whereas in with football, you know, you could go to two years of college, jump into the draft and have a real nice payday real quick. And you're on the field that first Sunday of that first season that you're on. That's not the case in baseball. Well, let me, let me first of all say this. Uh, to everyone listening to this, your child is not going to be a professional athlete. <laughs> well, hold just, on. We have a lot of listeners in Long Beach. and we've Just because a- there's, there's, there's like three families I could think of right now that this conversation is really for. And I do just want to say, because I think we've been covering a little bit more of the club stuff. So we've seen the like real frenzy around we're doing this for college scholarships and to play professional uh, sports. So many values, as we just talked about with CJ, to playing sports that have nothing to do with oh my gosh, I'm a top 15 pick, you know, which, which sport should I be in? That being said, uh, my son obviously is going to be a professional athlete. No, obviously. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think, um, I, I think baseball is really tough, man. I, the Tatis number, you look at a guy who's 22 years old, who, you know, JJ just said it, most baseball players really do have to put the time in. I think we just figured out Aaron Hicks was like 10 years between being drafted and when he got his first non-arbitration contract. Um, that's really difficult. You know, that's a really long time. Tatis is the rare exception where he's played two years and then he gets this uh, 14 year, $340 million deal. Um, as enticing as that is, and I did see some of the, the families that we cover on Instagram and on Facebook last night talking about, dang, it might be time to <laughs> get down to the batting cages. Um, I just think Baseball is difficult because of that window of the minor leagues, where even if you're the best high school player um, in America, you're probably still waiting two years, at least one year in the minor leagues, which is just frankly, in my opinion, much worse than NCAA football or NCAA basketball. Um, and I think that's really hard. You know, I, the dirt bags, good college programs give you that option. But then again, if you're number one and you could take a $7 million signing bonus, it's hard to take a complete three year deferral of that at the same time. So it's, I think baseball is really complicated and I definitely would not put it at the top. I would say this, I wouldn't put it at the top of my list. What about you, Tyler? What you thinking? 
there's a lot of interesting points and it's, it's really tough to make the, the like for like comparison because it's like, you have to decide, okay, am I like the elite? Am I the top of the top? Cause in that case you might say, okay, baseball, you know, I'll, I'll be Mike Trout or whatever, but there's only one Mike Trout. So, um, but there are Mookie Betts's, Fernando Tatis's. There are other guys that are going to be in that upper echelon. Um, there's a lot to weigh. I think basketball is probably that happy medium of, quality of life more after the game there's less of the um the cte uh risk that i know has been a, a big topic lately um the, the careers last longer than nfl careers but there are fewer spots in the nba so there's fewer roster spots so if you're one of those kind of mid-level a little bit above replacement guys you might be struggling to to have some longevity in the league and as mike said you kind of have to be in uh you know you have to be in it for a while to uh, to really reap those rewards in baseball because those first six years are, are very capped because of your rookie deal and your arbitration. You can obviously get um, get paid well. Like Cody Bellinger certainly gets a decent uh, arbitration contract, but he also won an MVP. So. Well, and, he, and, and the, the year that he won MVP, what was he making? I mean, he made like like a half a million dollars that year or something, right? Right. It, it wasn't was, a lot. It, it, it wasn't MVP numbers, that's for sure. I think I'd have to go basketball, and, and I'll walk you through it because – with basketball, there is a clear high school to college move. There are so many college basketball teams out there through Division One, Two, II, and Three. You can get on ESPN very easily as a basketball player if you're comparing that to a college baseball player or a college football player who's not at a Pac-5 school or something like that. So then you've got the move from college to pro. Not only do you have the professional league in the NBA, but you've also got, in my, for my money, the most successful international leagues are basketball leagues. Volleyball, up there for sure. They're very successful. But those basketball leagues in Australia, those basketball leagues in the Eastern Bloc, they've got fans, man. And they've got actually really good basketball out there. So the opportunity to go from playing it in college and not getting paid to playing it as a professional and getting paid, I feel like your options are more if you're a basketball player. And also, and I think this was something that we don't talk about enough, you go from being a college star, getting drafted by the NBA team that you want to play for, and then you get to play. You have to wait in baseball. You may have to wait a little bit in football because of the physicality of the game. In basketball, you can come right in and be John Morant. You can come in and you can get those endorsement dollars immediately. You're not wearing a helmet so people see your face. You can make yours a household name very quickly. And I think that, in the long run, might make you more money as a professional athlete than actually cashing the checks for playing the games. Yeah, and I mean, especially, you know, when we're going to have this name and likeness change for college, uh, you know, coming up here. Say you're Zion Williamson. First of all, you only have to put a year in at Duke, and now you can go ahead and sign the, you can sign the quarter-billion-dollar Nike deal while you're in college. Okay, like you, you don't have you don't have to wait on this sort of like TikTok TikTok. I have six more months or something. Like I think that's I think that's going to be a game changer as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you I think you hit it on the head. The other thing I would point out is that um, if you're a girl, you're going to be a women's athlete. Basketball is basically your only option. And as JJ said, those Eastern European women's basketball leagues, the Asian women's basketball leagues, those are very lucrative. They're no joke. Um, you know, if you talk to any player in the WNBA, they'll tell you the reason a lot of those players are late coming back and starting the WNBA is they're making more money overseas. I mean, they make a lot more money overseas. Um, so I, I think that's worth noting as well that, um, you know, not only does NCAA have women's basketball, but also we've got the WNBA and internationally, those leagues for women's basketball players are, 
um, just much more, de- much more developed with a more likelihood of a guaranteed contract uh, for, for women's players as well. And you can stretch that career out a lot better in basketball, right? There's always a spot at the end of the bench for the, the veteran with savvy, who's great in practice, who whips the towel around anybody makes a three. Like there's Jeremy, a spot. Lin is, Jeremy Lin's in the G League right now. This is what I'm talking about. There's a spot for you in basketball. There, but there are there are technically more spots in baseball, and I will I will make this one this sort of counterpoint. The other thing, I'm mostly being devil's advocate. I'd probably pick basketball for all the reasons you guys have said, but let's let's keep it interesting. Let's you know I got the baseball hat on. Let's let, let's keep it rocking. So uh, one thing about baseball, obviously, the contracts are guaranteed. So if you can get that payday, you know that you're you're protected. You're going to get that. You know what I mean? You can be Albert Pujols and be a negative player on your team with all due respect, but he's still getting paid, um, you know, $20 million, $20 million a season. And that's not going to go away. He's not going to get cut because he's not playing well. They have to give him the money. You, uh, you mentioned the Mike, you talked about going to college and uh, finding that route rather than being in the minor leagues. Let's look at Evan Longoria. That's a player that I think is kind of a good example. You know, he's a, he's a three-time all-star. St. John, ba- John Bosco um, and Long Beach state. So definitely local boy. Yes, local connection, um, has always been like an above average player, hasn't been top five MVP, has been close. So you would never say he's like the, you know, the necessarily like the Tatis Trout type figure, but he's been a very, very good player. Um, he's now 35. I don't know how, if he were an NBA player, would he still be around the league? I mean, LeBron is, <laughs> cannot be used in any sort of discussion at, at 38, but uh, but Longo got a three million dollar signing bonus as the uh, number three overall pick out of Long Beach State. Was within two years he got drafted in two thousand six, made his debut in two thousand eight with the Rays. That's fast. That's that's fast. very fast. But it was because he went to college. Right. It's not you know a high school guy. He also had to grind at at JUCO before getting to Long Beach State. And then you know once he got to arbitration, his contracts were pretty good, and you know he's now currently really eating getting paid about $12 million a year. And so his career earnings are set up projected at 139 million. So that's pretty good. Not too shabby. I don't hate it. And regardless of what happens with performance injury, any of that, he's going to get that money. So, um, I mean, you love to see it for (laughs) for a long beach guy to get paid, but those are, I mean, that seems like a pretty nice career to me to never be um, an MVP like cover of, video games like face of the sport but has still had a, an incredible career and has won plenty of awards and stuff so sounds like our advice so, yeah <laughs> if, sounds you like- can, if you can get to the pot of gold in baseball it's a lot bigger it's just also a longer journey well it sounds like our advice is find a way to play your sport in college and you'll set yourself up a little bit better you won't have to spend as much time in the minor leagues you'll up your draft stock if you're playing in the nba and uh yeah you'll get on tv more if you're trying to play football so go to school kids and then stay in it. That's the thing, right? Stay in school. That's that. Is that still a thing? Not in 2021, bro. But we <laughs> encourage it nonetheless. We encourage it nonetheless. All right, <laughs> we got to get back to work. We've actually got sports to cover, and we're freaking pumped about it. So for Mike and Tyler and JJ and everybody else at the 562.org and Long Beach Post who get this show up and all the stories and all the breaking news that keeps you up to date on everything happening with our local community, thank you. We will see you very soon, Long Beach. Take care. 